This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, everybody. Caleb here, welcoming you to another spooktacular episode of the Maybe You Like It podcast. We are in the midst of Spooktoberfest, but this episode was recorded back in July. So there is zero mention beyond this point of it being Spooktoberfest. So there it is now. It's Spooktoberfest. Remember that. Uh, this is a wonderful episode uh, looking at Shaun of the Dead with the incredibly talented Fred Davis. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. And this week, we are joined by an actor and puppeteer whose credits include Peter Pan at the Regent's uh, Park Open Air Theatre, Running Wild on a UK tour, and the recent stage adaptation of Jan Martel's Life of Pi. It's Fred Davis. Hello. 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 How are we doing? Good, good. Great, yeah. How How are you? you? Yeah, good. Guys, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thank you for coming on, Fred. It's great to have you. (laughs) Uh, Why don't you, actor and puppeteer, um, Jake's given us some credits. Why don't you let us know what sort of stuff you usually get up to? Uh, so mainly, I do sort of animal uh, puppetry. That's been been the, the bulk of the work that I've done. Uh, a lot of uh, life size elephants and orangutans and tigers. A lot of stage puppetry and done that uh, in lots of places over the country. And now doing little bits and bobs of uh, film and TV puppetry, which is fantastic. Um, did some work on the Dark Crystal Netflix uh, series uh, a couple of years ago and hoping to do a little bit more of that as uh, as time goes on. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Right. So this week, we, you've brought us Shaun of the Dead, mm. which is the second Cornetto trilogy film for us that we're, we're staging, but it's the first of the Cornetto trilogy, written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I mean, it's just, it's a cult British classic. If you've not seen it, I'm surprised to go and watch it. Fred, before we stage it, are you up for giving us a rundown of the plot? Absolutely. So centres around one main character uh, who has a best friend and a girlfriend and mum and a dad and you know whole family and living his life a little bit run down world starts to go to 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 hell uh doesn't notice that it's going to hell sort of carrying on trying to uh, get things sorted in his life with his girlfriend who dumps him figures out the world's going to hell decides a plan to go to winchester uh to save all of his friends and family executes the plan with uh, with great precision and uh, and comic timing and then most people die and uh, him and his girlfriend make it out alive and then they live in in the house with uh, with his best friend who's now a zombie <laughs> i think i think that's an excellent summary to be fair that is that is the film um <laughs> i i imagine we'll go into more detail as we begin to work out how to stage it um but that's yeah no definitely. that was fantastic because sometimes i think there's like two options people when people come on and, and they do their plot summary sometimes people just like beat for beat every single moment of the film yes. for five minutes and sometimes it's like like they think they've been really good and sweet and short but actually they've just set it up and not knocked it down but that was <laughs> fred you just you whizzed you us set through it up, it. you knocked it down the thing is it's a you know that's a mark of a great film that you can summarize the plot that quickly absolutely I think so. yes absolutely yeah yeah and i mean this film is i mean yeah it's also a very a swift film the whole thing feels like it's running at such a pace all the way through mm. um which i think is something that will be a challenge to recreate on stage especially considering in my mind there was a lot more time spent in the winchester than is actually spent in the winchester in this film yeah so in my head i'm like we can just set it in the winchester so easy you just <laughs> turn that into a stage <laughs> That would very much miss most of the actual plot of the film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, what I did find out last night is that it has the same running time as Wild Child, 
the uh yes not the- very good <laughs> film um because i watched it at the same time as someone else was watching wild child uh, just on yes. my phone uh, i was about to say that is a very strange comparison to make he's just got that one locked and loaded 95 minutes wild child absolutely <laughs> That's the one. I know. I know the length of many movies. Uh, it's my it's my special skill, and I got a mastermind. Um. Um, Fred, do you do you have a a general broad idea on how you would begin to stage this for us to start with, or well, or are you willing to just go in blind? And figure this out to go? No, I'm totally totally up for um, hearing what you guys have in mind because. I at first was I found it really difficult to to sort of come up with how I would stage it, and then as it sort of went on, I started getting real vibes of uh, Curious Incident: The Dog in the Nighttime, mm. uh, and that sort of boxed set with the the lots of bright light cues and the bright sound cue, uh, like loud sound cues, uh, and the set being really technologically sort of integrated with what was happening with the the actors. And then I've got some other sort of crazy stuff floating around my head, but uh, but yeah, that was that was sort of where, where it sat with me for, for for starters. Okay, yeah. How how does that sort of square with your thoughts, Jake? Yeah, no, I really like that because yeah, Curious Incident is like a it's about a journey, and it's only around a little town just like this, and I, I completely mm. see where that's come from. Um, I, I I have to say I'm I didn't get to a sort of fully formed idea either. I have lots of little things where I'm like, oh, that's an interesting question and thing to discuss. Yeah, I think I have this sort of image where I've been thinking a lot about how we get the sense of scale that they get towards at the end. There's this really nice thing where like right at the beginning we have lots of like background oh there's there's the foreground zombiness at the beginning is like kind of like they're like false friends there's like a lot of like simon Pegg being zombie like and then it's like ah it's not a zombie because at the end of the day what this film is is it's like a it's almost a parody of a genre film like it's it's taken a like a standard zombie film and gone okay but how can we make this funny slash good like it's (laughs) it's difficult to it's it's difficult to like describe it Yes. But but one of the ways that happens is that we have all these false friends, but also in the background, we see the kind of news articles, strange goings on. And it's like yeah. playful because we know it's coming. And so it doesn't actually try to hide anything from you, but it yeah. just kind of shows the odd thing. And it never really bothers to try and explain anything because that's never really that interesting. Yeah. And then what we do is we see like as Simon Pegg goes about his day that um, we see like we're introduced to people that then it's funny that they're dead later. For example, he like says to this kid that chucks a football at him, oi, you're dead. Yeah. And then he says, yeah. <laughs> um, there, then there's, um, and you have these kind of like background things. You have the guy eating a pigeon in the background because he's a zombie. Yeah. And then, and then it's, it essentially it slowly builds through the film and you kind of when you get to the point where they notice there are zombies then there's quite a few on the street and it can and it gets more and more and more but by the end of the film there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of zombies in the background and i've really just been thinking about like how do we do that that essentially because i think it's quite important to the way the film is structured that we sort of ramp up um and it doesn't really have much of a dip in the middle other than for kind of a couple of deaths really Mm. so i've got this image of like well you can't really have 100 people on stage Unless they're moving like a community, it could be like Just a community thing. But if we're doing a traditional stage thing, I've kind of got this image of like all these kind of like panes of glass, like they have in the Winchester, oh, where you yes. have lots of shadows and things. Yeah. And so I kind of have this image of like essentially like a a round screen, like back projector screen that can be the Winchester when it needs to be. But when it's not, it can be almost like a projected space that can be anything almost, or Mm. even if it wasn't even back projection, it could be like that, you know, that, led stuff they're now using to film like the mandalorian yeah like that just moves around with your vision and it can just obviously this is really high tech but it could just like be anything so that's i guess if we were putting on a traditional stage i think that's sort of my idea quite a minimalistic projection based Mm, yes no Um, i i like that a lot because i was thinking yeah my my main thought with this is 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 there a way of um sort of integrating digital stuff whether it be projection or or even like having parts that are filmed and then and then projected and i wonder whether you could incorporate it in some way that way that might feel a bit 
cheap because it is adapting from a film mm. and people are like, why don't I just watch the film? Yeah. But um, I definitely think this idea of like having a, a projected or an LED screen that is, is showing us our environments works well. I saw a couple years ago um, the Butterfly Line at just the Festival Theatre. Mm. I don't know if you saw that, Fred. I didn't see it, but I, I, I really wanted to and I was travelling down as fast as I could to get to see it and I got held up and I caught the last five oh. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I mean, but you you get the general idea, right? Yeah. With the the projection across the whole floor in the back, yeah, wall. gorgeous, and yeah, and it means that they could transport you to literally anywhere. And that one, they make it so it doesn't look naturalistic on purpose. But I think there is a way that you could do it where it looks relatively naturalistic, where you can be in the Winchester, and then you can be in some gardens, and then mm. and and you can just use small pieces of set, whether it be like a, a table and a few bar stools and a jukebox, yeah. or it be um, a couple of garden fences or something that they jump over. But you can use little pieces of set as well to signify alongside the projection and mm. for them to interact with. I definitely think to me that works as a way of yeah of being able to move from place to place quickly to introduce action into it and like you said Jake to just build up the scale ramp it up as the whole thing goes on it's interesting that you bring up naturalistic as far as the digital is concerned um because i've been thinking recently about i went to um current rising which is a very short opera at the royal opera house it's actually the the first and only opera i've ever been to but it um it was based on the end of um the tempest when ariel escapes or something along those lines but it was a vr experience you walked around Mm. with that with a backpack on and you had vr headset on and where graphic design is now in that 3d completely surrounded space the and i could feel the computer getting very hot on my back it was really <laughs> it's a task right um it it, it seemed to work better they didn't go for naturalistic because they didn't have to make you believe you were really somewhere they it, that was real they could just make yes. you believe you were somewhere that was not real mm. and that's a lot easier to convince you because it's you doesn't have to have all the detail that that another world has mm-hmm. and i've been thinking about you know edgar wright his one of his other films is scott pilgrim versus the world Mm. and he really likes that sort of like game boy comic book style and i wonder if there's like a version of this that's more of like it's instead of it being a parody of a zombie movie it's more a parody of a zombie not parody is not the right word it's not a parody but but an ode i guess to a zombie movie it's an ode to a, a zombie game um, yeah. And maybe there's a world yeah. in which this could be, because I think it, it does seem a shame for us not to at least talk about the idea of an immersive version of this, yes. given oh. <laughs> given all the zombies. Oh, that would be <laughs> so cool. But what, I mean, is it like an escape room at the Winchester? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. <laughs> you could definitely have that as like an experience that uh, an you know escape from the winchester and you've got all of the you know all of those classic escape from puzzles but set in the winchester and surrounded by zombies uh and yes. then you know you can like get out and think that you've got out of the you know it, that's it that's the end and you've got to do some sort of you know assault course or something through you know actors <laughs> yeah. playing zombies um and escape unbitten or, or whatever that would be that would be cool <laughs> yeah that's i like that pretty sure it's a darren brown because he well he did he did the tv show where he persuaded a real guy that there was a zombie apocalypse happening to teach him something right yeah yeah um but you kind of watch that you think how much of this is scripted yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm always thinking about when i see those things i'm just like oh that's that's the skeptic in me come on believe believe Yeah. Okay. I, so we, I mean, which direction do we want to go down here as we, as we delve further? I want to throw out another one uh, that, that, go for that, it. that came to mind of sort of, you set up, you just have a very small cast. How, how many is the, the friend group? Five, six? Uh, six, wait, I think. Six for the friend group and then the mum and the dad. Is that? No, the, the, the mum makes it six, then the dad makes it got seven. You, got you, got you, got you, got you. Seven. So yes, yes. I, I, I imagined having just like a cast of seven and having props on stage that, that you, know, you don't bring on any set, you don't take anything off and you set it up as like kids playing a game at the beginning and like taking on roles. Uh, and, you know, uh, 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 Sean and Ed are actually like uh, brothers uh, and um, then they have to, 
you know, it's like, uh, so that, that adds into Sean's sort of thing of having to bring along his, his younger brother rather than his, his friend who is, um, uh, you know, dragging him down or whatever. And they, they spend the whole time playing out these characters and then like, either if they haven't come in yet, sitting at the side and watching, or once they've died dramatically, then being like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get some sweets or something. Uh, I'll see you guys later. But yeah, playing it really like naturally, you don't see any zombies, but it's all like, you know, when they're, when they're all dancing around, what, what's the, uh, the guy who owns the Winchester? I've just got the, the image of all three of, uh, three of them just like smacking him in time. Yes, yeah. uh, don't stop me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not yeah. actually, you know, hitting, hitting a, a guy play, uh, as a zombie. They're just like hitting air or like hitting a chair or something. And they're, they're imagining this whole like situation. Yeah. So when they finish, they, there's a finish to the story and then there's a finish of the game after that where they, whereby they'd be like, okay all right that was good great cool let's let's go get some dinner or something i really like that i i made to be honest watching the film i did think about uh, radiant vermin by philip ridley where it is just three actors but they're they imagine the whole world mm. that's ha- the, the, the whole thing's taking place in and then there's even a bit where they build towards where they are the the two main actors are playing like five different characters oh, at nice. once and i do think there's something maybe even bringing that cast down to like four yeah and then but then they they have to play multiple characters in the same scene yeah that'd be cool and i think there's distinct enough characters that you can make that work and i think there's something about that with this film where as you say i think what edgar wright creates with these films and you've kind of touched on it jake is this this idea of saying you know those genres you loved as a kid well I'm I'm no longer a kid and I can actually make the version of that genre that I think is the best. Yeah. And there is something there's something playful about the way they make these films that is like imagine someone actually gave you the budget to make that zombie movie you always thought about and talked about with your mates. Well, now these guys actually did it and it's really good. And Absolutely. I think that there's something in yeah, there is something in bringing it to stage where we have this opportunity to imagine this whole world and and to introduce at the very like base of it that this idea of like this is a fun game to do and to tell stories is a fun game as well the one thought i then had about that though is is it doesn't need to be in that sense it can be minimalist it doesn't need to be realist at all and even the props they're using don't have to be the things they're using them for Mm. you know like the cricket bat doesn't have to be a cricket bat but you can say it's a cricket bat but i think what you can do is you can use sound design that is ultra realistic and is it like almost exactly reflects what happens in the film so that yeah. you get that imagined world through the sort of through the audio rather than what we're seeing. And so we hear everything they're imagining as kids, but we're seeing them playing out the story as, as kids, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. I, I totally agree with that because that brings you as an audience member right into their game, doesn't it? If you're hearing and they're hearing, you're right in there and you doesn't matter if you're not seeing, you know, a cricket bat, you're, you're seeing, I don't know, a spoon that someone's saying is a cricket bat because you're, you're, you're invested, you're, you're, you're in the game as well. But having that extra yeah. level of having that hyper-realistic sound would be really nice. You're reminding me of something together with with this idea and the way fred found it so easy to summarize quickly the plot i've been reminded of um anne washburn's mr burns which i think i've brought up before on this podcast but it is a play where the the premise is that we live in a post-apocalyptic world where these people sit around a campfire and they can remember one particular episode of the simpsons (laughs) and the first act uh scene i don't know is like 10 years or something after the the apocalypse and they are retelling this story of of this episode and then the next scene is i don't know 50 60 70 100 years later i'm not exactly sure and we see how it's changed and they're telling it using different props and the world we see how the world has changed through that um in that time and then another 100 years later when maybe like we've got power back and there's now more access to materials, we see this like absolutely crazy deranged, like obviously because it's been told and told and told and told and told. And I was just thinking about how you said like, oh, well, we can have whatever we want being used as the props or whatever. And we can, we can kind of use this abstract to tell this story because the story is 
is solid enough on its own that it, we don't need to actually like have the zombies. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering whether there's a way of us doing something similar where we have like this, these kids playing and then maybe it's them telling it again as adults and then as old people and <laughs> and and but in a like when it's been warped in their mind into something completely different and i don't know whether we start with because the version the edgar wright film it feels like it's to me it's told from like the perspective of um simon pegg's character's memory because there's all this like moments of him being a hero yeah. and him surviving and all this kind of thing and I wonder if there's a way of like we take we kind of maybe start with some more truthful version and we build through this middle hero but realistic version that Edgar Wright tells and then we get to some like absolutely crazy superhero <laughs> Um, and then maybe at that point, cause I like, cause the other thing I was going to suggest is I like the idea of us having this kind of like we play version and we have the sound, but then at some point we surprise the audience by adding more, by adding more production value. That's, <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that rather than telling it multiple times, you could have it where the first bit or like, or, you know, it's like we, we, um, as we go on, we're changing that perspective from them as kids to them as, adults to them mm. as older adults or whatever um and so then as the sort of zombie apocalypse becomes bearing down on them then it becomes more real and more serious as well and so like you say jake you can have these reveals held back to surprise the audience um but you don't necessarily have to retell the story multiple times i think you can have that happen like as we move into that third act mm-hmm. now they're adults telling it and and the deaths feel real and yeah because death is something that at that point they've now like experienced it and i think that could be quite interesting i was thinking about because like one of the ways you know if we're keeping this as minimalist as possible one of the ways you can just trick the audience is have one of them loaded up with like fake blood mm. so that when they die you know this thing that seemed very san- like sanitized the whole way through then suddenly just it's like realistic blood that that, that is killing them i think oh, really yeah. and then they turn to the audience and they go you've got red on you oh <laughs> yes <laughs> it's good it's good <laughs> we love it oh no i yeah just jumping off the back of what you were saying there after the the death and it kicking up i really felt that in the the movie uh when um the the stepdad dies when he's or or just before he turns when he's being really like uh, deep with uh, Simon Pegg's character and telling about uh, you know his hopes for him as a as a son figure and and him as a father figure I was like oh that's really sweet and then like he turns and everything is just like crazy and comic again and I was just like oh that was quite a nice sort of touch and then you know straight back into it but then when the mum turns that is all that there's so much tension in that whole scene and it is so like uh like raw and even up to the point where she gets shot it's still you know it, they don't turn it comic uh straight away yes it's, it's it's really raw and and real for those characters uh which sort of feels like it chimes in with what you were saying about at that ramping up that reality sort of kicking in and and maybe making that jump in the, in that third act maybe that being once they've got into the winchester uh in that that final section that's when it all sort of kicks up a gear maybe you didn't even need to push them as far as like going getting old but maybe it could just be like they start really as like little kids and they get like up to being adults but like not old adults but like that i don't mid 20s or whatever and it's kind of like this thing of like telling that story of this story of Shaun of the dead but also telling the story of them growing up Mm. and maybe some of the story the you know what the imagined world is reflected in the real world as well and you can kind of even have like moments like that where it is real like it feels real about like the death of someone in the story maybe reflects something that's happened like a tragedy you know someone in their family's died Mm. in the people that are playing and there can be moments where it's kind of like they pull us back out of the story they're telling to go, hold on, this is, you know, actually affecting me. And then when they go back in, then they've stepped up a a bit older than they were before. If that makes sense. Mm. Maybe there's a way of making it sort of tell those dual stories at once. We've really pulled away from Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of, um, Oh, I'm going to have to cut this because I can't remember the name of the film. It was recently That's adapted right. into a play. It's about a tree that comes to life and tells yes, stories yeah, to a, a monster, kid. A monster calls, yeah. 
So there we go. By Patrick Ness, I believe is yeah. the book. Um, yeah. yeah, it reminds me of Monster Calls by Patrick Ness. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's dissimilar at all. And I think, I, I mean, I really like Monster Calls. I've not seen the stage adaptation, but I've read the book and I've seen the film. Mm. And I think that it is a really effective way of telling stories and sh- and showing the... I think showing the impact of storytelling as something that we use for levity, but also to understand our emotions as well. I think, yeah, why not use Shaun of the Dead to do that <laughs> as well? <laughs> so what, what is, we kind of touched on what would be the, the behind plot if we were to do that. Mm, that's something that's tough to do off the top of the yeah. <laughs> It is, it really is. But, but like, who, like, uh, would it, would it be, uh, is it the story of, yeah, one family, um, as you say, with maybe like a couple of deaths in the family, is it something, what would be the tugging theme? It, maybe if we don't know what exactly the plot would be, what would yeah. our message be? What would we be trying to say with it, I guess? Uh, and it's not an easier question to put it like that. <laughs> but, but I feel like we can't, we need to make it, we need to think about that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I agree. I, I agree. I am being sort of drawn to it being, yeah, one one family. And they're all the, the children of of that family. Uh, ranging uh, in ages, maybe yeah, four four kids, and both of their parents uh, of the parents have died, and it's not necessarily joining them while they're you know it's not necessarily saying that they the parents died when they were super super young, but you're when they're they're being shown as sort of uh, kids, you're it's them the child version of them trying to deal with the grief of having lost both of their parents. And so when Mm. it does get to the point where the parents die, that can take it to a really real place for, Mm. for all all of them. And sort of, uh, I don't know, even have a moment where the, where the sort of, the sort of structure breaks. And one of them was like, why, why did you do that? Why, you know, why, why are you talking about that now? You know, or do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was sort of, I think, yeah, what I was imagining is this idea of just being able to go, well, hold on, actually, I don't, I don't like this game when we do that yeah. because that's not fun. Yeah. And this was meant to be a, a fun thing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and, and actually in that sense, we could push it even further where it's like we're going all the way up to them, you know, like maybe like the oldest ones, like well into their 30s or something. And that's mm-hmm. when their second parent passes away or whatever. And it yeah. is that thing of like as a family dealing with grief and how do you do that as as siblings? And does that is that something that helps you come together or is it something that pushes you further apart and that's difficult i think and i mean yeah i think that that would be really interesting and i think it doesn't necessarily you know in the film sean's dad died when he was young right mm. i think there is a, a parallel here to we're not completely ideas <laughs> <laughs> together i think that's and i think there is something really interesting about this idea of like yeah, not only is like it's storytelling to help deal with grief, but also like it's this completely mad like zombie apocalypse mm. that's being told to deal with grief, and I really like that as a as an idea as well because it's it's like you're just pushing yourself to the absolute like limits. It's not like there is like you were saying, Jake. There is actually kind of not really much realism in this film at all. Like even the violence and stuff is is sensationalized. It's it's over the top. Yeah, I think there's something about using this completely crazy story to tell a much more real story. That's quite exciting. I'm just thinking about what, what the zombification sort of represents. I think it could be cancer. It could be coronavirus. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean, and I, and I don't, I like I've, we, Caleb and I had a, I think a long on air chat, I think in our judge, uh, George Bernard Shaw's press cuttings episode about, covid theater this was a year ago fred <laughs> oh my about God. what about what covid theater might be yeah. um i imagine that yeah. conversation hasn't aged well, <laughs> well I don't, i'm sure it hasn't but also i'm sure it's sort of i still don't feel like i want to see a play about covid i no. know but i wonder if that this is the sort of subtle because I, I was saying i think i said in that conversation that that we started to get movies around 2010 where the film would be about something else, but then suddenly 2001 would happen, like 9-11 would happen. Yeah. And it would be a part of the plot all of a sudden. Mm. It would kind of hit you because you, you didn't know it was coming because you hadn't paid attention to the date sort of thing. And yeah, I wonder right. if I wonder if this is that kind of... I mean, I'd, <laughs> it's just come into my head. I don't know. But no, can... I, think, I think there's definitely something there. I guess, yeah, you've kind of got a... It's how it's how how uh, explicitly do you attach it to something to an event, mm. or or do you? Is it more implicit, sort of like it's an illness, but we don't have to 
be specific it, yeah. and often um, often it's better when it's like that i think i think um, so. yeah. yeah i, I was I definitely right. getting coronavirus vibes when i was watching it i was drawing so many like parallels and i was like oh this feels the news weird because because you know it when coronavirus first you know lockdown first happened we just were glued to our screens to hear whatever the news had to tell us yeah. and i think that there's definitely in this it's all done through the snippets of tv and stuff as well i think yeah i definitely saw the parallels there as well <laughs> which again isn't the easiest to do in the theater there is there is a line by the way in the first scene where simon pegg's character literally says the words i'm not too hot on theater (laughs) 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 which i mean that's getting left in the script for sure (laughs) oh i've just had a thought about that opening scene because off air jake mentioned to me that one of the things that we'll get on to talking about was um representing visual gags yeah the opening scene is exactly where what i was thinking of there but i think actually what we've just talked about in that like we're gonna have a cast of like four that are multi-rolling maybe that is what offers us this this visual gag is that you can have two people start the scene and then someone just jumps into the scene the moment (laughs) they're talking about them and then and so you can sort of introduce the visual gag just through like whether someone is physically in the scene or not yeah. So just to explain to the listener who might not have just watched the film, um, yeah. the, the, <laughs> um, in that in the opening in the opening scene, um, there's this joke that happens I think three times, um, yes. where a character is saying, "I just don't understand why Fred is always here." Fred, I don't understand why you're always here. And the, and the camera pans around, and we see that they are sitting at the table with them. All it's, right, Jake, it's this no funny worries. thing because. exactly exactly and it's hilarious because it's like it's playing on this idea that you have conversations about you're quite close friends that you would never want them to hear and then it's this amazing joke that they're there in the first place and i think it happens a couple of times and yeah my question was going to be how do you how do you capture that kind of humor because it's that's that kind of humor in quite a lot of places where um there's a brilliant uh like horror proper horror trope as well where uh, simon Pegg closes the mirror and we see this shadow behind him um which again i think maybe we could do with sort of that projection and things like that but but um yeah my question was going to be about about the the visual gag and so caleb your suggestion was to have these children sort of just jump in and join the game um yeah is that yeah yeah, in that sort of like space jam one in one out style way where it's just like and like you say you could have the turn the mirror and then one of them's like has that moment where they're like oh this is the bit where i join the game and i play the zombie and they just hop in and and so you still get a sense of shock but um but it's part of the game as well so you can tell the jokes you can use those the, the tropes that are there but you can do it as part of the way they're just playing the game naturally anyway yeah yeah and i still like this idea actually that when we start with them doing that kind of thing and then slowly the shadows appear without them being there and that kind of like yes. and sort of try to kind of i just like this idea of those worlds crossing over just a little bit because it's just something fun to do i think <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> that would be actually really nice and something that really takes them by surprise and you know that they start going wait did did you set that up no, I, I didn't set that up. Wait, one, two, yeah. three, four. Who's that? And just like, oh my God. Yeah. To be fair, that, that is the end of The Woman in Black. We have just done... Yeah, <laughs> there are no new ideas in the. I was going to say this must um, be like the this must be like the fourth episode where we've accidentally done the woman in black. <laughs> it is it is the seminal horror play, I guess. Yeah. It's really versatile. Um, what can we say? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, in terms of space, then I mean, we want to be able to do stuff that is a little bit shocking towards the end. But do, uh, do we think that this is doable in a relatively small? venue something that's maybe like on the larger end of a black box venue or would we want to keep this in like you know would we want to try and do it in a bigger proscenium arch venue horse box theater horse mm. box theater. <laughs> out of the back of a horse box <laughs> punch and judy style we get fred on his puppets we- <laughs> there we go because <laughs> that's what it's like fred right your puppetry it's just yeah, punch and judy. <laughs> there's always a horse box wherever i'm working (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i I had had a a thought about um putting this in traverse i basically because i was thinking about um 
the Spiegel tent that they did at Chichester that was sort of in like a kind of sort of traverse slash thrust. Like it was audiences on two sides, but they're in sort of slightly curved seating. And there is definitely a backstage on one side of it. And I wondered about, well, the Spiegel tent was set up like a pub, right? Mm. So the idea was like you were watching something happen in a pub and and the play was set in a pub. And so you were like on the outside, basically like if you were in the walls of the pub watching what happened. Mm. That was a temporary venue. But if it ever was that again, I think it would work well. And you could still do it where it's like a relatively minimalist set, but maybe there is more pub about it than we've sort of talked about so far. But then having that as well is you could kind of have those shadows appear behind the audience that's the other side of you as well because that's where the back wall is for you ah, oh, that would be that's exciting. nice and so that we, kind of brings you into the action there we kind of create do we create the lock-in instead of it being as we've sort of suggested already the sort of circle on the stage we make the circle the actual theater itself yeah nice. yes yeah, yeah that's really cool ah uh, yeah i mean this it feels really i, I was joking about the horse box but it does feel really versatile it feels like the idea we have because it's so minimalist because it can kind of grow from whatever it could be a really high tech oh requires however much patch power sort of space or it could be it could it could be like a a really low tech it could be open air it could be a pop-up type thing i think yeah and i I feel like i feel like it wouldn't be it wouldn't need to be confined to the stage either I feel like whole, not just like little snippets, but whole scenes could be done, you know, with the actors moving through the audience. Uh, and, yes. uh, and, you know, not just like a, a little run, run round, but like properly getting everyone to like swivel in their seat and sit for, you know, a couple of minutes and watch from a completely different direction. I wonder then, is there an opportunity as well to change up the form of different scenes as well? in that like you could have stuff where it's like this just little props and it's very minimalist and you've got the but maybe the hyper realist sound but maybe even like the scene with the don't stop me now like they literally like they have like a a, a sibling dance routine or whatever <laughs> they've already got figured out and they they like stick on the music and they like do the whole dance routine or something like that is there a way that we can sort of play with what is what is this scene is this this scene is a like a talking scene that feels like an improv uh an improvised scene uh this scene it feels like a a well-rehearsed dance routine that they all know together as siblings is there something we can do like that i think that'd be really nice and to have just i i as i was watching i was feeling like there should be at least one just like full-on movement sequence and you know like proper like physical theater you know really going for it and like unapologetically uh, which which uh, chimes in with that that full on dance routine. I would love that. I'm not sure exactly where, but, it, yes. but I yeah, absolutely. Have you ever seen the music video Thriller? <laughs> <laughs> wow. No no reason. You just, uh, yeah. just, just random. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, we're pulling out that all, would the, be very all the funny. stops now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It would be really cool to do like a movement section. Maybe even if you did do it at the moment where they walk down the street as zombies, <laughs> like there's something there that's, that is a sort of wordless sequence. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I think that's really cool. You just reminded me for some reason, I guess with the movement bit, of the violence, I guess. Yes. And I mean, if we have this version where it's not, real then we can just sort of do i guess a lot of fight choreo where it doesn't have to look like they're actually hitting anyone Mm. i wonder if we can explore like if we say maybe maybe one of these moments that it suddenly becomes real is uh, the moment when the um irish guy's guts oh my god so hard to watch because you've got Um, his face just like still uh, reacting live to what's happening For like so long. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Because I want uh, to pause it and see if I can see if it the where his body actually goes. But yeah. I don't but I don't want to look. And I think the only the only moment where it stops being his actual head is literally the moment where it cuts back and we're seeing the head be pulled away. Yeah. So mm. like they keep him actually there acting it for so long. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. one of the shots Brilliant. that sits with me from like the first time I ever watched the show, like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, but actually really it's more like the fact that the idea is there aiming stuff at people's heads the whole bloody time and i'm thinking like do we maybe do some kind of joke where actually the tv says aim for the 
right ankle wherever possible. <laughs> 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 just a bit safer but um, yeah i guess i guess how gratuitous would we want to be with the violence yes. in our production i i feel like you could you could you could switch it up you could start out where that some of them are sort of the opposite of something we were talking about earlier where at the end uh they sort of had like maybe superpowers what if at the beginning they're they're sort of like got superpowers and you know they're like smacking each other from like halfway across the room uh and and by the end it's like really uh tightly choreographed uh graphic uh like to, like uh, uh combat stuff and mm. and maybe like blood pellets and and uh and stuff like that but it's like gone so far like as far as you can push it to yes to, to yeah I'm just, I'm just remembering, I can't remember what it, I mean, we kind of have done it before, Caleb, in our own stuff, but there's definitely a film where it happens where, like, they, they just, like, go off and some stunt men come on. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Because I think that, I think those kinds of things actually are the kind of comedic equivalents of what the film does to sort of say, this is a movie you're watching and don't, like, don't, like, it's almost like, I don't know what the film version of Brechtian is, but it's Mm. like, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's drawing it's, our attention to the the form of the, of the thing that we're watching. Yeah, and so I think there's a yeah, there's a way of doing that. I love the platform raising up through the basement at the end, and I just oh. need us to have a trap door. And yes. I, don't <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it works. We have to see the scene before and the scene afterwards, but I need the trap door somehow <laughs> to happen in between. <laughs> oh yeah, that well, we can make it work. I don't even know how, but. <laughs> Oh. maybe they go up in like a billy eilish what is that music video where she just like rises up on some massive platform to a camera that's in the in the ceiling i can't remember what music video music video it is but like no, something like no that idea. and then they're just like they go up into the roof and then we just i don't know hear the police arrive <laughs> oh we haven't even talked about that the oh. the ultra violence at the oh, end yeah i suppose potentially what you could do if we've got this projected back wall is you could have them go down, walk down into the cellar and then we see that scene projected as if mm. it was like from like a security camera or something like that mm. and then and then they rise up on the platform and they and where they've gone uh, where they go down the stairs into the cellar over here they then rise up on a platform over here mm. oh that's film. cool yes yes please i want this. <laughs> yes, please. <New> light. <laughs> um, but actually that's brought that's a good question actually and uh, maybe a final question how does it end and I know we don't really have an idea, but if we if we're doing this if we're doing this sort of well, I guess it's a back projected curious incident of the children in the women in black um, <laughs> who are thrilled. kind of thing who are who are thrilled. Um, if we're doing that, um, <laughs> does it end in the same way with sort of like because obviously we've talked about kind of the death of the parents, but then we also have everyone else dying all of a sudden, and what does that mean? in the real world i guess is that just play now um mm. or is or is it something where it's like we where, where we get to the end one particular sibling or two particular siblings have got to you know the age of 105 or something and all their siblings have died around them as well and it's actually really stretched out like that and they, and we do yeah. actually have this idea that they are locked in the winchester for a very long time because it kind of has that almost like long hundred years lock-in sort of thing <laughs> and then maybe that rescue at the end is actually them dying as well maybe actually we end we end with everyone because there is that flash of white there is that there's that flash of white isn't there when when yes. the police arrive yeah. where which could i guess be interpreted as as a dream like switch do you know what i mean and yeah it's... yeah i think there's definitely something in if we framed it where it is kind of framed around being in the winchester and they're acting all of this out together in the winchester maybe it's kind of like they're at a funeral but we don't really know whose funeral they're at mm. if that makes sense and so what you could do is at the very end of the game they all get up and then one of the siblings doesn't and so it turns out they're at the funeral of their sibling. Mm. And it could be that, you know, that long on, like you say, Jake. And that could be, oh, that just, that sounds so horrible though, <laughs> to put an audience through that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, but there's a way in doing it in which instead of, instead of it being like, because right up till now, we've maybe said it's like, it's just about grief. And yeah. maybe, maybe it is about grief, but also it's about like, I've been dying to plug this for ages. 
John Finnamore's Souvenir Program season nine is <laughs> uh, is a is a it's a radio show, but it's an incredible, incredible like look back through a family history over like 130 years over the and each episode follows a different character from from the family, and they all pop up at each other's episodes, and it's just beautiful because you see all these like little tidbits that the younger people do, and they don't know why they do it and what why they say the things they do, and then it's explained from hundred years earlier, and and you find out seek family secrets, and it's it's just beautiful. I really really recommend. Oh, on BBC wow. Sounds. But my 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 point is is that I wonder if there's a way in which we kind of make this if we're really going for this like representation of um them playing through time and describing their lives maybe it's it's about grief but it's also about like why grief exists because of the moments where you love your family and you get to spend mm. a good time with them and then maybe it's more of a positive spin than this sort of like <laughs> <laughs> the way we've got right now. Yeah, I I think so, and I think I I'd really miss not seeing that final sort of happy, happy section with the the girlfriend uh, and uh, and Sean in the in the house living room, you know, having a chat, and then he's like, I'm just gonna pop out to the garden, and he goes and and goes and sees um, Ed, who's a zombie. I. I would miss not seeing that in some yeah. some way, shape, or form, and maybe that's you know not not obviously exactly that, but having that as the moment of like, yeah, we do, we're really close actually. We, you know, we love each other. Yeah, there is something maybe a bit strange about having brother and sister play. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'd have to sort of deal with that. Yeah, yeah. How how will we change those characters? But no, I completely agree. Yeah, um, yeah, it's. It has. It needs to have that happy ending. Mm. Yeah. There's the other thing. This has made me think of was an episode of Inside Number Nine. I forget which one, what like what it's called or which series is in. It's like series four or five. Um, but it's like two old comedians who were in a, like a comic duo meet up in like a town hall for one last. They're getting ready for one last show, and kind of as they go through each routine, you see why they broke up in the first place. It's basically one of them was an alcoholic, and mm. the other one couldn't deal with it. And then at the very end, we realize that it's one of them has been playing through all of these routines on his own and he's at the funeral of the other guy. Oh God. Yeah. It's pretty like, Jeez. Oh, like you really pulled the rug from under <laughs> Yeah. Me. But that is all about him being forced to remember someone who in his mind was flawed, mm. but, but he remembers why he loved him anyway. And I think there's that to bring out from this, I guess. Bernie Clifton's dressing room, by the way, is the name of the episode. There you go. Yeah, would recommend that one. Yeah. Um, oh, we're all, we're all over the wrecks tonight. <laughs> yeah, loads of wrecks. It's it's strange. I think this is simultaneously the most and least productive episode we've we've ever done. We've come up with we've come up with loads and loads and loads of ideas. But I think this might be the first time we've got to the end, and I just have no idea what we'd do if we actually went about proposing <laughs> this. Um, Absolutely none. <laughs> um, which I think is brilliant. I think it shows that actually. It does have, it has so many legs actually, because I mean, when we did Hot Fuzz, I remember one of the things we said about it was it's such a perfect film that mm. it seems like a disservice to make it a play because it, it, it doesn't need, it does, there's nothing to be gained from changing the art form it's in. Whereas I think we, what we've come up with here is something that's like, okay, how do we take this great film and say, what can, what can theatre give it? What can theatre bring to yeah, it yeah, nice. yeah and i really like that yeah but i do think despite the fact that we haven't made any decisions at all that maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should oh I mean, we've done i we, i'm being i'm being harsh we have made some decisions <laughs> but um <laughs> may, maybe we should maybe we should wrap it up there um unless anyone has anything else to add no no really. i mean yeah i feel like yeah you said it all there jake it's yeah. yeah there's a lot to do with it and uh if we ever sat down to do it i think there would be lots and lots of conversation left to have oh absolutely <laughs> i want to be in some of those workshops because that that those, some of those ideas they're insane but i want to see it happen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> edgar you've, you've just made a film about soho just around the corner is a wonderful place called theater land and they'd love to have you they'd love to have you um <laughs> uh fred thank you so much for coming on i have 
loved talking about this with you. Oh, I've absolutely loved it too. It's been fantastic. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I mean, I was already excited, but like this has, has been, yeah, so good. It's so lovely to have these creative conversations when for so long we've not been able to be in rehearsal rooms. Yeah. I think it's, it's just amazing. Fred, what are you up to at the moment? What's going on in the future? What can you tell us about? This is your soapbox. <laughs> so I've been uh, back to work doing some uh, our uh, rehearse, uh, research and development workshops for a couple of shows um, that are hopefully going to be happening uh, later this year um, all around the globe, which is very exciting. Uh, and I am going to be I'm currently working on a show that is uh, going to be filming in London and uh, airing soon-ish. Can't tell you what it is at the moment, unfortunately, but it's it's exciting. And uh, when it does get announced, uh, you'll know that that was what I was talking about. (laughs) 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 And the next thing coming up for me is going to be rehearsing Life of Pi, uh, which is going to be playing uh, at the Wyndham Theatre from November uh, and running till, I think, February. So that's going to be, you know, West End debut, absolutely mind-blowing, cannot awesome. wait. So exciting. I am incredibly proud of my Life of Pi uh, experience because I read it when I was about 13 and I went to my English teacher and I said, sir, sir, I've read um, a recent Man Booker winner. Did you, have you read it? Like, did you like it? And he said, he said he couldn't, he couldn't read it. He had to, he, he, <laughs> he gave up and it was, and I was like, oh, that means that I'm a better reader than my English teacher. And that was, that, that was... <laughs> That was my conclusion from that. Um, but no, I absolutely love the story and I'm so, so excited to see it. Um, yeah, me too. And, me too. Um, and to find out about those other projects, where can people find you online, Fred? Uh, so I'm, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram as uh, Fred Davis uh, 1701. That's F R E D D A V I S 1701. I don't post a huge amount, but uh, when I've got something exciting, I shout about it. Oh. <laughs> fantastic and caleb where can people find you online i'm on twitter and instagram and letterbox at caleb lebster that's cl no it's not is it <laughs> uh, it's uh c-a-l-e-b-l-e-b-s-t-e-r uh jake where can people find you online oh my new complicated handles uh my twitter is at jake underscore mori that's j-a-k-e underscore m-o-r-r-y and on instagram and indeed tiktok you can find me at jakey mori um don't worry i haven't posted very much yet but still follow me i will i will at some point um that's j-a-k-e-y-m-o-r-r-y and also on letterboxd and uh, i can't ch- you have to pay to change your name on there so i'm still no at jake reesh on there so, oh, i'm so sorry it's, it's the lack of synergy is just disgusting so your personal so, brand is so weak. It's, 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 it's honestly awful. Anyway, um, but amongst that mess, maybe you'd just like to follow Maybe You Like It Productions on Twitter or Instagram at Maybe You Like It. That's with the letter U. Or you can follow us on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions. That's with the word U. Or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email. Maybe you can help us make any decisions on this film <laughs> by dropping us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you liked that, maybe you didn't. Thank you very much. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.